Welcome back to another episode of Around the 412. I'm Tyler. With me, as always, is my co-host, Smitty. As always, go follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. Subscribe to us there. Go leave us comments, like the videos, uh, and, and go blow up all of our social medias, as well as check out some of the links that we have in the description of our shows There's on listening platforms and on YouTube as well. we got a couple GoFundMes, um, a couple t- a t-shirt sites as well. Just, uh, just go check all that out. We might talk a little bit about that later, but... We want to get right into the show today because most of you guys probably know this guy as Stats Guy Daniel, as you see on the screen as well, but he is also the football editor uh, at The Score. He's our buddy, Daniel Valente. How's it going, man? It's been a while since we had you on. We were just talking about that, and I can't believe that it's been almost two years. Yeah, thanks for having me again. You know, it's uh, been a while, but always glad to come back and talk Steelers with you guys. It's always a blast. Dude, so I had to go back, and I was just watching that just like, you know, just to get some vibes as to how we mesh together, <laughs> by the way, it was like natural, of course, why wouldn't it be? Uh, but it, the conversations that we were having were just hilarious to think back on now, like super optimistic about Matt Canada's offense. We were talking about like Dan Moore Jr.'s first camp. Obviously, he was a rookie that was just drafted that season. Like we had just taken Najee in that same draft. Like there were so many topics being talked about then that it's funny to look back on now and just see how they've either aged very poorly in most cases or some takes of age very well. Um, so let's see what we can come up with this time that we can look back on in 2025 from this draft class in either aged very poorly or aged very well. Let's just start right at the top with a team trading up for Broderick Jones in the first round of the 2023 NFL draft. One, did it take you by surprise at all? I know that there was some smoke about them trading up. The name that they were most linked to really was Darnell Wright, just because people thought he would be the one that was kind of within striking distance for them to move up for, or he would fall to 17. So for them to go up in a slight trade up, for Broderick Jones, one half of this show might have called that, by the way. I won't say which one of it is us it was. Uh, but did that move take you by surprise at all? And how do you feel about the fit? Um, so first, I just want to go back to what you were saying about how, you know, looking back and you were seeing what we were talking about, about Matt Canada and Dan Moore. Oh, yes. I'm yes. thinking maybe maybe we have to, like, you know, trash these new guys and, you know, maybe do a reverse <laughs> jinx here. And that's yeah. that's uh, the blueprint. But um I wasn't surprised that it was for Broderick Jones. I think it was either always same. I was in the same camp that it was going to be either Darnell Wright or, or him. You know, Paris, uh, Paris Johnson was the other key name, but it just, as it got closer to the draft day, it just felt more and more like he was going to go really high. And sure enough, that's what yeah, ended up he happening. He was getting some smoke at number um, three. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I love to see that, you know, Khan, uh, Omar Khan was aggressive, moved up, got his guy. And there, there ended up being a run on offensive tackles where, you know, the Steelers were probably going to have to move up ahead of the Jets to, to get the guy they wanted or else they were going to end up with nothing. And, you know, the Jets can say whatever they want to say that Will McDonald there was their guy. But I think, you know, you look at how that team is constructed too and they was could he surely have used an offensive tackle, especially they, they ran the clock all the way down to basically nothing. But, uh, you know, Broderick, he's, um, you know, he's he's got a tremendous upside, I think, you know, athletically and just like physically, he could be, you know, we could look back in 2025 and hopefully we're not wrong about this one. He could be probably the best left tackle or, you know, uh, but he's definitely a guy who I think is also going to need a bit of seasoning. You know, um, he's not maybe a guy that you can say right now is going to start on day one. I mean, he might just because, you know, the draft capital is spent on them. They moved up, made him their guy. Uh, You know, he could, but you know, he's, He's not a guy, I think, you know, expectations should be kind of like tempered a bit that, you know, there is going to be some polish, some NFL coaching that he's going to need to, you know, take mm-hmm. that next step to hopefully be Kenny Pickett's long-term uh, 
blindside protector one day. Well, you know, Steeler fans, they're nothing but tempered. So I'm sure they're going <laughs> to yeah. give them the benefit of the doubt yeah. day one. Trent Williams, day yeah. one, baby. Let's go. I think I put out a tweet like that, and it was the same thing. My replies were, like, all the same. Like, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, guys, I'm literally just saying, let's just like, take it easy a bit, you know? Right. But, and But that's a good point. We, we brought up the last, you know, when, when the draft first happened, when we made the selection, we said the same thing right on air. We had been saying it leading up to the draft, even, like, if they take this guy – Really high ceiling, great as a run blocker right now, but only one yeah. year at left tackle. The hand placement sometimes can be in question. There's some technical stuff to clean up. It's a hard transition to begin with, even if you do have experience at left tackle throughout your time in college. He was a one-year guy on the left side for Georgia. So, uh, yeah, there certainly is some projection there with this pick. Um, like I said, really good run blocker out the gate, though, I think. It's really going to be how good can he get in pass pro. And that's the interesting thing, like looking where we keep saying this like two-year gap because it's been two years since you've been on here. In 2025, that's when I think that we should be looking at this guy and seeing like, okay, how is he playing right now? Because 2023 is going to be uh, like, I will be very surprised if he's even an average left tackle, assuming that he's playing on the left side in 2023 i think if he is he's far exceeding expectations for at least me that i have set for him so it's gonna be interesting to see that and i also like that you brought up the point like who's to say he even starts day one on the left side like i think for a lot of teams this would be no question right but knowing tomlin and it's just about who gives us the best chance to win a football game if it's played tomorrow I, I don't know that it's going to be Broderick Jones over Dan Moore from day one. I think that that could be certainly a battle that takes place in camp. But if Dan Moore is the guy that he feels like week one is still the better option because Broderick's just not quite there with pass pro, then a lot of Steeler fans are going to be up in arms because they're going to see a guy that the Steelers trade up for in the first round not starting day one. Maybe this is also uh, comparing apples and oranges, but I think if the Tomlin and the Steelers didn't start Kenny last year in game one, I, I feel like there's no reason to even think about that they, they wouldn't start him in game in game one. Talking about Project Jones, I mean, obviously it's two completely different that's, situations. But that's an interesting point. Your your first round quarterback didn't start in game one, so I, I feel like your first round left tackle, even though you did trade up for him, while he he very well could beat out Dan Moore for that job, I don't think that should be the expectation right away. And I feel like most Steeler fans, kind of like what we've been talking about. They don't really think that way. They see this guy as a first-round pick, and so he should be a first-round, like, a Pro Bowl tackle from day one. Yeah, but that's just not going to be the him. case. Yeah, yeah. that's not, yeah, not going to be the uh, case. I was going to say, uh, here at the score, like, our outlook for Project Jones, I thought it was a really good one, was Andrew Thomas, who, you know, year one with the Giants was, you know, a bit of a mess, and, you know, now we're yep. looking at him. He's developed into one of, like, uh, one of the up-and-coming, like, left tackles in the game, and I think, you know, the – the development route for Roger Jones could be similar, but so, you know, whether that means he starts year one or doesn't, I don't know. But like you guys are saying yeah. too, Tomlin is kind of that guy where, you know, comfortability, especially at certain positions, whether, you know, it's under the quarterback, like you made a good point, you know, if Kenny Pickett didn't even start year one, he wasn't comfortable putting him in that, you know, the guy protecting the franchise piece, you know, that's, you know, almost equally as important. And I wouldn't be surprised if he rolls with Dan Moore jr. And, I think for sure as we head into camp, it'll be Dan Moore's job to lose. Like, Roger Jones is going to need a great camp, a great preseason, and then maybe, you know, we see him start from day one. But I, I wouldn't be shocked either if Dan Moore is the guy out there week one. I do like the fit. The last – I thought Pat Meyer was probably the Steelers' coach of the year last year with the way that the offensive line came along despite the void of talent 
especially in the second half of the season, the way that they were able to run the football. I thought there was a lot more cohesion on that offensive line. Now that could have been a case. And I, and I get, there was still the void of talent. So you got to bring in better pieces, which they've obviously addressed. Um, but there was an argument to be made. I, I was kind of playing devil's advocate by saying, maybe you don't want to turn over that many pieces on the offensive line for that reason, because you got to develop some chemistry there. Well, going out and get, getting Isaac Samalo, obviously they, they've now drafted a tackle in the first round. There's going to be some turnover there, even if it's just one spot out of the gate. You know, at some point this season, it's probably going to be two different spots that we see. But I do like Pat Myers fit with Broderick Jones here as well. I think that was important too. And again, like Daniel, I don't know how much you've really, you know, put tweets out or, or talked about uh, Pat Meyer, but briefly talking about just like the ascension that we saw from the offensive line. Cause Pat Meyer was kind of, I think a lot of people are questioning it higher, but you saw what he did last year. Um, does that give you any more reason for optimism in the terms of what Broderick Jones could develop into working under Pat Meyer? Yeah, for sure. And I think not even just even looking farther than Pat Meyer, you know, you got um, so Isaac uh, Simileu, like that's another new piece. And so he's going to have to learn that system, too. But who better of a guy for Broderick Jones to play alongside than, you know, a proven veteran guy who has gone to done before. Uh, Herbig is probably going to be a, you know, a key backup. But, you know, swing it's, interior it's guy yeah. that, that Simileu also has chemistry with. So you know, you're looking at a lot more easier projections for the chemistry of these new guys, you know, in this system. And especially now, you know, Meyer's got another year under his belt and there are guys who can, you know, kind of teach these newer guys too, like this is how it's done kind of thing. So I think, you know, I, I think it should be easier for these guys to make the jump. But, um, you know, chemistry is a very important thing. And I think, you know, this just goes in general for Steelers fans. It's like almost they cut out, the pathway and we just jump right to the projection of what they could be and just say like, if they're not this on day one, why is that not the case when, you know, good things take time and uh, you right. know, that goes for everything. Absolutely. Um, I don't want to spend all day in the first round pick. Obviously they've made several <sighs> picks, several very heralded picks as well. So let's jump to round two, Joey Porter jr. A lot of talk with this pick just because there was a lot of conversation that they wouldn't stick with this pick at 32, they were taking calls probably all day. You know, there was like 18 hours from when night one ended to when they made that selection. So all these teams with the players that were left on the board had a chance to call the Steelers, try to get up. The Steelers obviously felt good about just sticking and picking as opposed to taking whatever deal was on the table for them. And it's Joey Porter Jr., a latest legacy pick. Very cool just from that standpoint, obviously. Like, we, we'll talk about the football side here, too. But just, I mean, how cool is that for the son of Joey Porter to then become a Steeler? Said that's what they wanted to happen all along. It didn't happen in the first round. You kind of think, okay, well, now it's off the table. Lo and behold, he falls to round two right into their laps at pick 32. Just from a fit standpoint, how did you feel about this pick? I know Brian Branch was still on the board. A lot of people wanted to go that route. Uh, did you like the selection of Joey Porter Jr.? And where do you kind of see him fitting in right away? Um, I, I mean, from a legacy standpoint, from like, you know, if you want to look at as a supporter, or like as a team fit, I think it was a it was a great pick. And you just, you know, if you get him at number 32 in the second round, that's the cherry on top when it comes to comes to this pick. And, uh, you know, even during the pre-draft process, it, it felt like Joey Porter Jr. was going to be their guy. But just the fact that, you know, went from, well, it's either they get him at 17 or they get a tackle at 17, and then they were able to snag both. Like, that's incredible. And I think he just has a lot of things that the Steelers look for in their corners. You know, he's a tall, lengthy guy, can play, play press man. The only thing that's lacking is, you know, we didn't really see a, a lot of ball skills in college. 
But, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I think ball skills is easily something that can be, you know, very volatile. You know, a lot of it is just like positioning, you know, a bad throw here, bad throw there. He only had like, I think, 30, 30 targets or something right. in college. Yeah. And he still had and 11 pass left. breakups. So, yeah. Like, so, just the interceptions you know, were there. It, it could just be one of those things where, you know, the more opportunities he gets, maybe those numbers will come. And a rookie corner, I'm sure he will be tested at some point during the season when he finds himself in playing time. Um, and, you know, he's got a great, great guys in that room to learn from. You know, Patrick Peterson, who's had like, I think, 34 interceptions. He's like, Second most active. Active. yeah. So, you know, what a perfect guy to learn from and, you know, take it from there. Absolutely. And I think that's an interesting point about it just being like their type of corner, because I mean, we'll get to it later, but for them to double dip and take like the light version of him and Corey Trice Jr. later on in the seventh round uh, just goes to show like what they were looking for in this draft class. Um, But yeah, Joey Porter Jr. And and you look at the opportunity he's going to have as well, like in this corner room, I understand like real quick just to throw a news note in there with the Steelers as well with Arthur Millette being released that's just another body out of the secondary now obviously like he was going to be a slot option don't see Joey Porter Jr. playing there necessarily but it's a it's a piece of the secondary that was moved out but when you look at the corner room how it's going to shake out like other than obviously Patrick Peterson and maybe he ends up despite limited snaps the last two time last two seasons in the slot maybe that's where he ends up he said he's going to move around because other than that like you got Levi Wallace I mean, I'll throw a Kella Witherspoon's name in there. I'm not so sure he's even going to make the team. You got James Pierre back for one year, potentially. They just brought in Chandon Sullivan. And then, yeah, Porter and Trice. So, like, how do you see this corner room shaking out? And could we see Joey Porter, like, immediately be a contributor to it? I, I think you brought up a good point there with Arthur Millette. You know, I think maybe potentially that could be a move that sees Patrick Peterson move into the slot, at least on – on running downs, but then, you know, if in a nickel package or something, you need a guy out wide, it very well could be Joey Porter's junior number called if, you know, he has a good camp. And, uh, I mean, it shouldn't take much for him to beat out the guys uh, ahead of him yeah. right now anyways. You know, Kellen Witherspoon, that's another guy who, going into last season, you know, a lot of people are high on, including myself, and just hasn't worked out. You know, they took a gamble, and it hasn't really paid off. Uh, well, James Pierre. 2021 was awesome. Yeah. Like, that second half crazy. Was, yeah. Uh, James Pierre is a guy who, you know, in limited opportunities has shined, but I think he's probably just a guy who you need to keep in those limited opportunities. Maybe someone who, when they get more of a snapshot, you know, you start to see some certain things get exposed. So, you know, I think, I think there's a very good bet that, you know, Joey Porter Jr. could be a contributor from day one. I know we were saying Broderick Jones might not, but I, I think the, there's an easier pathway to see Joey Porter Jr. on the field playing a significant amount of snaps come 2023, the season opener, then, you know, probably maybe any other pick in this draft. Yeah. Uh, well, that's funny that you say that I actually had that on here, which, you know, guy from this draft class, do you think is going to be the most contributing player from it in year one? And if your answer is going to be Joey Porter Jr. Based off what your answer right there, I, I tend to agree with you just because I look yeah. at that room and think he's going to be seeing significant snaps on the boundary because of what I'm projecting has to happen for them to have their best group out there, which is Patrick Peterson playing a good bit in the slot. Like I just, I don't know. Shannon Sullivan cannot be the answer in the no. slot. He just, he can't be. So in my mind, in At nickel, it looks like you can't it, be a playoff team and have Chen Sullivan be your answer yeah, or an aspiring I mean, playoff team. We, we and nothing against Patrick Peterson because I like the addition there, obviously. But we've now brought in two players from the Vikings' past 
defense, which was absolutely yeah. awful. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, Shannon Sullivan gave up nearly 800 yards in the slot last year, something like that. That was was the most in the NFL. I, I'm not sure. You know, I mean, he's obviously an experienced guy. Maybe they feel like he fits their system better than Minnesota's. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, I feel I just feel like their best secondary ends up having Joey Porter Jr. and Levi Wallace on the boundaries and nickel with with Peterson kicking inside. Yeah. And that's where I'm at with it. So I do think Porter Jr. plays quite a bit year one. Tyler, how do you feel about not, not just this selection? Because we kind of talked about the selection <laughs> yeah. last week. But like, do you think that he's going to be an immediate contributor like Daniel and I are saying? Yeah, I do. I th- I think when you look at the top two picks, um, really all of them, but focusing on the top two just because that's who we talked about. Like Daniel was saying, he has an easier path to to get that significant sna- the sna- significant snaps and that more like accelerated role in playing time. Um, I I would project, in my opinion, that I think he starts from day one on the outside, just because I don't re- like you're saying I, they don't really have much of a choice. But but to play him, and I think he's talented enough to be uh, one of, one of their top corners. But when you look at putting their best defense together, depending on the situations, like you're you're gonna have to play him early on because you, you look at the rest of the guys in that cornerback room, and like we're saying, it's not a lot of guys that you necessarily want on the field a lot of the time. I, I think that there's a there's a better chance of Joey Porter Jr. being a starter from day one than there is Broderick Jones being a starter from day one. And that's no knock to Broderick Jones. It's just the necessity at the position based off of the Steelers' needs right now because I, I feel like I would be more comfortable with Dan Moore Jr. starting at left tackle from in game one than I would at so, so like Akella Witherspoon Akella. starting on the outside yeah. in yeah. game one. Yeah. Yeah, I tend to agree. Um, yeah, I, I almost said, uh, oh, go ahead. Poison. I was gonna say, if I had to pick my poison, I would easily agree with that too and go with you know Dan Moore starting outside rather than a Keller Witherspoon, yeah, yeah. And I and I honestly, I feel like Tomlin will uh, agree with that as well. Uh, I almost said round three, but it wasn't. They had a second, second round selection, <laughs> which they didn't have to give up to make that jump. By the way, we talked about the trade up, all it took was pick 120 to do, and they even ended up when they traded back from 80, kind of getting that back. Um, but anyway, so pick 49, Keanu Benton, one pick that I feel like the fans just really not familiar with the name, so maybe not like as sexy of a pick as like the first two were, or even going to the next pick that we're going to talk about. But Keanu Benton, like you see the Steelers pretty regularly draft guys from that Wisconsin defense. And the reason being is they are the college version of the Steelers defense. So it's an easier transition for those guys to make. I look at him as a guy that can line up anywhere from zero to three tech along this defensive line and contribute pretty early. Um, I'm a huge fan of Keanu Benton. I thought this was pretty good value for them getting him at 49. It just seemed like the entire time, like he was a stealer. Uh, I mentioned like him or Dervon Dexter. I like basically said one of these two guys is going to be a stealer during the draft. And it ended up being Keanu Benton. Uh, Daniel, I, how do you feel about the Keanu Benton selection? And I know that like right now in house, we obviously have Cam Hayward and Larry Ogunjobi. So maybe not at that three tech spot, but I mentioned that I also feel like he can contribute, you know, from that nose tackle position and zero tech or even one or two. I like, where do you see his fit at least early on? Yeah, I think his fit early on is going to be like that zero type one tech, like you're saying, and, you know, they'll grow from there just because, you know, they, they really – if there's a place, if there's a hole on that D-line, it's there. You know, it's him on Travis Adams. You know, Aloualu's not back. And, you know, I, I, that's really – brought in Fahoko, but – Yeah, they have yeah. Fahoko too. 
Uh, and, you know, it's a guy who, you know, he kind of like, I don't want to say Javon Hargrave because it's very different, but he, he's a guy who showed some past, uh, some past wrestling chops and, you know, as he got better as his college career progressed. And, you know, he could be a guy who like sneakily, you know, makes a, makes, makes a major impact in the trenches as we move along his career here. And, uh, but yeah, he's, he's another guy who just, he's certain guys who just feel like Steelers as you're watching them mm-hmm. throughout the pre-draft process. And, you know, Joey Porter Jr. was the, the name one, but Keanu Benton felt like, you know, the yes. guy. And yes. um, I remember anytime you even like try to play around the mock draft or whatever, he would always be on the board, even as you're picking it like later on. And I'm like, there's no way he's going to last. This long. <laughs> so I right. think like even getting him at 49, you know, pretty good value just because I, I think he was one of those guys where maybe the NFL was higher on than, you know, the, the media or the these consensus boards or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I remember I, you had him at what tackle defensive tackle three. Yes. On, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, and it, because there was only like people kept talking about the amount of first round grades. I don't think anybody said they had more than 15. I was like, man, it wouldn't surprise me if he sneaks into the back end of round one, like to like the yeah. Saints or something yeah. like that. Uh, it wouldn't have shocked me. So, yeah, I was very happy to get him at 49. I, the game that I watched against Michigan State, he the very the three first three plays of the game, he blew up all three, just like the quick hand swipe of the center. And he's in the backfield, two of them run plays. And then a forced incompletion where he gets a quarterback hit. I mean, this guy just, he's, he's a game wrecker in my opinion. And I don't think he's going to have to be like, again, I don't want to like Daniel mentioned with like Javon Hargrave. That is a huge name to try to live up to what he did in Pittsburgh, even where he was kind of underappreciated and then obviously becoming even better in Philly. But like, he's a guy that I think doesn't have to come off the field either. Like, to be able to play that zero tech, that nose tackle position, but also be a guy that can kind of slide down and stay on the field for all three downs if necessary, that's rare. But that's what he offers. He's like, uh, I don't know if you guys have it there. We have it in Canada, silly putty. You know, you could just kind of mold them into whatever you want. And there you go. <laughs> when when talking about guys like that, uh, we have a friend, Jake Chavink. He likes to call him a ball of clay. Yeah, yeah. Silly putty works as thing. well, though. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like Lucas Van Ness, that was a great. So he's a Green Bay guy, and that was their yeah. first round pick. And everybody keeps talking about him as an edge, but if you watch him, man, he is yeah. way better when he kicks inside. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyways, Keanu Benton selection, Tyler. I feel like you were starting to say something like maybe three minutes ago, and then I just kept talking. Oh no, you're fine. I was just saying, like this guy. I mean, both both you and I on. I was like a sh- the show before the draft actually, because mm-hmm. you got asked by Derek on his live show, and then I got asked by you the same question: who who are three guys that we would name that are Steelers if we had yes. to pick them just by just by who they are? And we both said Keanu Benton without knowing the other the other. Well, you knew. I didn't know you said it. You said it yeah. before me. I but, mean, I was I was money in the pre-draft process, by the way. I mean, yeah. I might I might hurt my arm here as I go to pat myself on the back, but calling the trade up for Broderick, and then I said Keanu Benton. It, when Derek asked me that, the other one of the other two names I said was Herbig. So like, yeah. I was just on the. You want to talk about another guy that felt like a stealer? Also, well, wait, we'll get to this in a second because we got to talk about the Darnell Washington pick first because. They move back, I said, like I said, at 80, 293, a little trade with Carolina, move back, pick up a fourth-round selection that they lost in that trade-up for Broderick, um, and they select Darnell Washington, who fell all the way to 93. Now, there's been some disputes in terms of what, like a medical thing. Um, I thought the door really opened up for this to happen. I even told Tyler this, like, 
I thought the door opened up for Darnell Washington to become a Steeler. Oddly enough, it was like a sequence of events. They traded for Allen Robinson, and then they canceled Dewan Jones' top 30 visit, and they brought Darnell in for a top 30 visit like very late, the last day that they could bring in guys for top 30s. And I was like, are they thinking about this? Like, are they going to draft a tight end, and are we going to see a lot more 12 personnel? And lo and behold, Darnell Washington falls to 93, and they take him. He had no more than 15 catches in a season at Georgia. I understand he's playing behind Brock Bowers, but you're not drafting him for that. We'll see how much of a receiving upside there is. I'm just excited to watch this dude maul people as a sixth offensive lineman. I love this selection. I love that bringing Zach Gentry back for a year didn't prohibit them from drafting a tight end from this class. Daniel, where are you at with Darnell Washington? Probably my favorite pick, and it's not often that you know you walk away from a Steelers draft at least right away and say, you know, this fourth round guy was my my favorite guy. It's usually like two years later, you look back and you're like, wow, they found this stud in the third round or fourth mm-hmm. round, right? But it's uh, and you know, it's not really a sexy pick as it is like a physical, like this guy's a freak pick that you just can't wait to see him on the field, even if it is just in like limited 12 personnel packages. But you know, I think it's a huge addition to the Steelers' offense, and it just seems like they've made a real commitment to um, patching up every single hole possible on this offense. Where you know, last year, you know, it was oh, we're lacking depth here, here, and here, and you know, we need a top end guy. And they went into this offseason like, okay, bang, we're filling this spot up. We got this guy for here. You know, Allen Robinson, we need a slot guy. Uh, Twelve personnel, we can use a, a, an upgraded backup tight end. Here's Darnell Washington, can also be a six offensive lineman. And I think it's just, you, you know, Matt Canada right now, he's uh, he's got a, 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 an abundance of riches just to no work choices. with. Yeah, and it's just, uh, you know, but I think he's going to be fun. And if there, if there is, I guess I guess I'm repeating myself now saying this, if there is a, a Steelers pick, it's Darnell just watch, you know, especially you go back and watch him just maul people all over the field. But um, um, and I wanted to touch on what you were saying before too, just with all these picks that you were saying like, uh, you called this one or this one. It felt like earlier in this draft process, you went into it kind of like, man, I actually have no idea what the Steelers are going to do. And this feels like the first year in a while. And then as the draft got closer and closer, it was like, okay, I can kind of see if, if this works out this way, they're going to do this. And, you know, I think it did. The, the medicals are going to be one thing with Darnell, but I think that's a key, uh, key important thing why they brought him in probably on that last day of the last 30 yes. visit, just yep. to, you know, make sure everything cleared out. And, you know, hopefully he's got a long and, great career ahead of him in Pittsburgh. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I think that I, to your point, I believe that that would be the case that they brought him in on the last day for top 30 visits, wanted to make sure that like the medicals were good. They would feel comfortable taking him. Um, but yeah, it's certainly like the draft this year. And I don't know that it always seems this way. Like I'm not saying Kevin Colbert didn't have detailed plans and like they went accordingly, but it really seemed like Omar Khan and Andy Weidel from the start of free agency had in mind what they wanted it, this to look like. And free agency and the draft were just perfectly messed together, a beautiful continuation of building an identity of this football team, which we saw them. I don't I don't want to say that they never tried to commit to it, but like really that second half of last season where they really started to run the football well, it kind of seems like that was the start of this. And now it's just them continuing on. They found their identity in this entire offseason through free agency and the draft were just about becoming bullies. And they've added guys that fit that mantra. When you look at Samalo, Herbig, 
and now what they've drafted with with Jones, even on the defensive side, you could say Joey Porter is that type of cornerback. Uh, Benton, obviously, and now we're talking about Washington. Like they all fit that mold of the identity that this team started to establish going back to like the second half of last season. It's Andy Weidel's influence from being in Philly. Yeah, they, hopefully they uh, on the trenches. Hopefully Andy Weidel doesn't get a, I mean, listen, I, I don't want to like hold him back. Like if he can go out and get a job, great. But like, hopefully it's not just like a very short term thing with him being the assistant GM here in Pittsburgh. Cause I feel like there could be some teams in the near future that are interested, like even next cycle that trying to get, especially him to because Omar Khan just flat out said he made my draft board <laughs> and, look how, <laughs> and look at how the draft board fell for him. That's, that's true. And it also like, I mean, I've talked about this on the show. Like, I, I mean, I'm not like giving, I would never give away the the source of this information, right? But I, at least in my opinion, I got to see it play out that Andy Weidel has a lot more influence than I think a lot of people think, at least from my eyes, just because of what I, some text messages that I got about conversations that him and Tomlin were having and weren't on the same page about a couple things, and they shook out in Andy Weidel's favor through free agency in the draft. So to me, I now have in my mind that Andy Weidel has been very influential this offseason. And I would certainly believe that too. I think, uh, you know, even going back to the Colbert era and, you know, sometimes it's good to get a, a different voice, uh, you know, an outside opinion in there. I think for so long, we've known the Steelers as a organization that is just stuck to a certain philosophy. They do things this way. And, you know, if you're saying that you, that's what you heard, it, it does make sense, you know, and I think even just drafting a rookie quarterback, I think has like, given them a opportunity to just like refresh and reset and do things the right way rather than, you know, try to force, uh, okay, let's run it back and, you know, do this and patch up some holes here with duct tape and stuff. And, you know, with Kenny Pickett now, they've able to fully develop and, okay, let's rebuild the trenches, you know, let's rebuild this old line, you know, how we did it even, you know, when, when Ben was a younger QB and they spent, you know, was it 2010 or 2009 to 2014 or whatever, just investing so many picks in the O-line. And, uh, you know, I think we're starting to see that same thing now. And, you know, yeah. looking back at last season, I think it was uh, – I remember when they went on that winning stretch uh, down the end there, I was like, man, I hope they didn't play themselves out of a, you know, premium draft spot. But, like Mac, they still got everything they wanted, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that so going on here, continuation with the draft – They've now drafted in back-to-back years, kind of like looking back at the last season's draft where they get the Marvin Liao, and it's like, where's he going to play? He's kind of a tweener. Different position, obviously, but Herbig is kind of a tweener as well. Like, is he going to play on the edge? Is he going to be off-ball linebacker? They've said he's kind of going to do both. It's just interesting because of, like, his frame, not the greatest wingspan either. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, like, the utilization there. But just from like a player standpoint, anytime that you tell me, hey, we're getting this really high motor guy that played on the edge at Wisconsin, I'm never going to be upset about that. We've had success with it in the past, uh, but it's going to be interesting to see like the fit there. Obviously, this is like another family ties pick. That's not why they're drafting him because, yeah, Nate Herbig, who they brought in this offseason was here. That had nothing to do with the draft. pick. <laughs> but um from a football standpoint, Daniel, how do you feel about Nick Herbig? Like, I don't know how much you dove into him or watched him or anything like that, but, um, and where do you think his, do you, do you think that it's going to stay true where he is going to be doing both like some off ball, some edge and just kind of moving around. So uh, he's not a guy I really like dived in extensively to, but from what I've seen, I, I think he's probably best suited just in the, in the inside and as an inside linebacker, you know, same thing. I have same concerns with, 
you know, the length, the stature, and, you know, just how much of a real threat he can pose to NFL offensive tackles with his limitations. But, uh, you know, I think another important thing to remember is just like, you know, there's other roles for this guy to fill too. There might not be the sexiest roles, but the Steelers have lost a ton of special team snaps this year, a ton of yeah. special teams guys. Like, you know, that's a, an easy way for him to contribute. And, you know, he doesn't have to be a world leader and, you know, lead the, lead the team in Jersey sales, but that could be where he makes his, his impact or makes his money in the, you know, the first year or two. And then we can go from there. But I think, you know, You'll see him on the field somewhat. I think special teams is going to be his route to go. Uh, and, you know, going back on that, like, brotherhood thing, I don't know if you saw, like, that video Tomlin posted on. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's pretty interesting just to see, like, how they do think, why the Steelers have so many brothers on the team. And just it makes sense when you look at it from a environmental, competitive point of view and, like, a brotherhood kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, I think general team building, I mean, why not? Yeah, I, I, not to say that it doesn't play any. I guess my point was yeah, that yeah. the guy still got to be able to play football. Like, yes, yes, for sure. At yeah. the end of the day, um, but yeah, absolutely. I was a big fan of this pick. It's interesting to see like so many people project him as an off-ball guy, and like I tend to agree at least for the most part. His snaps are going to have to come there. It's just there's no tape of that. Like he didn't do that at Wisconsin. Yeah. He was rushing off the edge. So it's interesting to see like we don't even know how that's going to fit. But interestingly enough, I don't know how you're going to feel about this fit just from like a watching him play when he's in space, the way that he drops. He actually reminds me of former Steelers and also probably played more special teams than we've seen him actually be a starter, LJ Ford. I mean, I could see it just, uh, you know, from uh, like moving in space kind of thing. But like you're saying, it's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's it, this is literally one pick where it's almost all projection, especially like yeah. from my point of view, when you're saying like, you know, I want him, I think he's going to be an off ball guy. It's all projection. And that's all you have to work with is just the traits, how they move in, in space and stuff. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I was thinking, honestly, when it first happened, it's probably not the best comparison, but I shouted out Sutton Smith and, you know, I hope, I hope it's a lot oh. better than that, but yeah, <laughs> he was what a sixth rounder. The year that we took yeah him. he was using a then, little later yeah and then didn't even get through one yeah no he's still kicking camp. around though i think he's still out there yeah well it was weird because it was like people were talking about i think he even actually did did he actually transition to fullback or was that just yeah, like think, a talking okay i think it happened i don't know if he's still there okay. i honestly can't see him keeping yeah. tabs on him but that was the Man. first name that came to head what a name yeah um throwback tyler thoughts on i almost said sutton smith now you got me <laughs> I, I went to look at Sutton Smith, um, but I, I I was seeing if he's playing fullback or not. Um, but I assume you're asking about Nick Herbig. I am asking yeah. about Nick Herbig. So immediately when I look at the dude, and I'm not saying he can't play on the outside. Obviously, the tape says he was he was good at it at Wisconsin, but the NFL is a whole different animal. And I look at like the outside linebackers that we have. I mean, Highsmith and Watt both have a few inches on them. And they both have like 20 to 25 pounds heavier. Like he's just not built as an outside linebacker. Not saying he can't do it, but he just has more of a build, more of a frame for an inside guy. That's where I think he could be most utilized. Um, Just because I I just don't think physically he is going to be able to do it on the outside as well as he did at Wisconsin. Now it's going to be a learning curve to, to go to the inside full time. But I think when you look at what the, what the opportunity to play is, I think there's going to be more opportunity to play in, in, on the inside unless one of those outside guys gets hurt. Fingers crossed that that doesn't happen. But 
the linebacker room for the Steelers on the inside is still kind of like up in the air for what it's going to look like in 2022. A lot of new faces or 2023 yeah, until they me. sign Kyle a lot of new Van faces. Yeah. Oh yeah. Until they sign Kyle <laughs> Van Noy. Uh, <laughs> we got to tie into my BYU fandom, yeah, there um, you go. but you know, I, I think that it makes more sense for him to, to be that off ball linebacker, just looking at his, his size, weight and everything. I just, I just think outside guys, He's like 25 pounds lighter than our two starters. And I just don't see how that adds up. That's the thing. Like I watch him in college and he's just, he's, he's so fast. Like he's winning with speed against these tackles. I don't know that that's going to cut it against NFL tackles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you can't just win with speed. You got to have something in the toolbox and he doesn't have, you know, this wide array of pass rush moves and he doesn't have that same speed to power that some guys can win with. So he's just like all speed, just able to get around, the edge quicker than anybody else and i just i don't know that that's going to translate to the nfl that same way so uh it'll be interesting to watch the developments there and how he's utilized uh like daniel i would say year one we're probably looking mainly at a special team contributor especially like that entire unit went to free agency so it'll be interesting to see what that unit even looks like um seventh round no fifth or sixth round picks so we go all the way to the seventh round and from a value perspective this was actually my favorite pick Corey trice jr who i had as a third round player in this draft class due to some medical stuff as well falls to the seventh round i kept saying like it's funny because i kept saying like through when i was doing mock drafts or like just going through exercises like hey if you don't get joey porter early get Corey trice later on the steelers ended up getting both um so i'm a huge fan of this Corey trice pick assuming that the medicals check out and like physically he's going to be fine. I think you've got a really great piece there to like start to build on. I think if he lands in like Seattle, everybody's like thinking they're geniuses and they got a guy that can start from day one. I'm not saying he's just start day one for the Steelers, but I think this finally gives them like a developmental corner in the bank, almost like something to build on. Yeah. It, it almost feels like, you know, the same thing, like you're saying they were Joey pretty junior. Like they got a, a two for one discount here, you know, they were able to snag both of them, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he does kind of feel like that kind of guy, like, you know, big long corner Seattle drafts. And everyone's like, Oh my God, like Legion of boom, here we come again, you know, but yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's great, you know, especially just because he'll have time to sit behind guys and learn. And, you know, he's not a guy who like Joey Porter Jr. is going to be expected to contribute and, you know, he can take a year and yeah, there's going to be some medical stuff, but I mean, when we get to the seventh round here, we're just, we're talking the lottery picks in general. Right. And, Yep. Um, I think even back to linking it back to Darnell Washington, you know, when you're a team that is kind of on the cusp or, you know, in the middle of uh, fighting for a playoff uh, position, potentially you can take these risks and you almost have to take these risks, especially when the reward is so high compared to what the risk is. So, you know, he, he's a guy, he could work out and, you know, if he looks works out, the Steelers look like genius. If he doesn't, it was a seventh round pick on a toolsy athletic, a lengthy corner and you, you, you know there's really nothing wrong with, uh, with that absolutely tyler what was your thoughts on the Corey trice jr pick it's a low risk high reward i mean this guy was picked at 241 so like daniel was saying if it doesn't work out he, this guy was a last 20 pick I mean, did we draft, draft prissel ladokin higher than 241 last year i don't or know was it like in no. that same spot i don't have that stuff. point point Hold being like was, it's not he was 241 as well oh yeah. Wow. Okay. Great. So, <laughs> yeah, I'll spot. take I'll take this lottery ticket over that one. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I think this one makes a lot of sense. This is a guy that 
I mean, you and I know Derek as well had in their top 100 players in the board. So it was a no brainer. It felt like to take him at 241. Um, it, it gives you some more depth in in that cornerback room and a developmental piece, like you guys were saying, um, to one day maybe even have a starter. I mean, we talked about how uh, Patrick Peterson could help mentor like Joy Porter Jr. He's going to do the same thing for Corey Trice and, and, and some of these other guys. So I, I think it's a great pick. That's probably the best value pick of the draft. I mean, Darnell Washington, it's hard to beat. But when you're just looking at where this guy was drafted at 241, that's probably the best value um, that yeah. you can get, assuming he's healthy um, is, is the other thing. But I, I just think that's one's hard to beat when you look at where this guy could have been drafted if he had been healthy. Yeah, you look at like we were talking about this last week. Most people had Washington like somewhere in like the top 35 ish players like that range, 32 to 35. He ends up going at 93. But most people had Trice in like that 80 to 100 range. And you got him at 241, which is ridiculous. Yeah, I, thought that, I mean, it's still I got value even, across the board. Yeah, I was going to say, sorry. I, I thought I even saw like uh, Trice's on the consensus board there. He was like the highest value. It was like 100, uh, 100 plus from where his ranking was. So, yeah, you know. Anytime you can add a guy like that in the seventh round, I think you're doing something right. Whether it works out or not, who knows? But again, it's the seventh round. Right. Yeah. I mean, just the size alone is worth banking on. Like six, three corners just don't grow on trees. Um, so I, I'm very intrigued. Imagine if down the line, you know, in a couple of years from now, we're talking about him and Joey Porter Jr. as the two starting corners on the outside for the Steelers, like six foot two and plus and six foot three. On the I outside. certainly hope uh, I hope that's the case. It would balance out, you know, a lot of our predictions from two years ago. I know that's like that's like. Hey, you mentioned the Legion of Boom. That'd be like Richard Sherman and Brandon <laughs> Brown are two point <laughs> with their size. Uh, and then the last the last pick that they made, uh, kind of I would say an unknown for most people. I actually like one hundred percent honesty. I he's one of the well he's the only Steelers pick I didn't see but he was one of the few undra- or drafted players that I had no clue who he was Spencer Anderson yeah. out of Maryland uh I will say if you're going to to draft a guy like that late as opposed to letting them get to UDFA um and it's not like you know a very high caliber guy you got to have the versatility to play along the offensive line and he played all five spots so obviously like that's there Tomlin even said that to him like hey if you're going to make this team uh, you gotta come in and work and show us he can play multiple spots, and he obviously did that in Maryland. We'll see how that translates to the NFL. But Daniel, I don't know if you have any familiarity with Spencer Anderson. Like, clearly, it's still again attacking a plan here because he was a great athlete. The RAS was off the charts for offensive linemen. Um, but that's really all I know about him. Is stuff that I learned after the draft. Going into it, I had no clue who he was. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you there where, you know, after the draft, I kind of learned more about him or all about him, I guess. And the versatility is one thing. And I think it's it's easy to see when you get to the seventh round, uh, you got to have something enticing that is going to make you selectable. So for Corey Trice, it was the length and, uh, you know, the, the promise of potential. For Spencer Anderson, it was, well, here's a guy who could, you know, could be the jack of all trades. And, you know, if we need him in a pinch to do this or to do that, to play center, to play tackle guard, you can do it. And, you know, any anytime you can use a selection on that, especially one in the seventh round, like you're going to do it. And, you know, there is some kind of role for him in some, you know, I, I think if he sees the field, you know, we're definitely in trouble. The Steelers are in trouble. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. anytime you can do uh, multiple things, it's never a bad thing. 
Yeah, absolutely. Tyler, I don't know if you really have any thoughts on that. We didn't even like really touch on this pick last week, to be honest. That's that's on us. Uh, we were just so and excited we're, about we're the rest of the We're still not going to touch but... on it. Or at least I'm not. Because, <laughs> because you guys have basically said anything I can say. That's yeah. pretty much all I know about him is that he could play multiple positions. That yeah. That's it. Yeah, I will say like hit, so they, I'm still waiting. We're all still waiting for the full draft phone calls to be released. Like, what are we doing, Steelers? Are we making a YouTube yeah. video out of this or what are we doing? If so, let's get it rolling here. Um, but I did see like his POV of it and you can hear Tomlin talking to him. Um, and it was actually one of the cooler ones. So, I, I mean, don't get me wrong, obviously rooting for him to succeed and everything like that. I still have to dive more into him from this point. I know our boy Derek's going to be doing a film room on him that he's going to be dropping. I think he said Friday. So be on the lookout for that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I love this draft hall. I don't know how you can't. Uh, Daniel, any like thoughts about just the draft in general, what the Steelers came out of the weekend with? I think, you know, uh, it's, it's a very weird uh, feeling as a Steelers follower. Uh, you know, usually their drafts, um, they kind of go, you know, sometimes they, they, they go off the mark a bit. And then, you know, we look back and like two, three years later, and it's like, wow, I can't believe they found this guy in the third or the fourth. And wow, what a tremendous draft or you know, and, and meanwhile, this year, it's for it to be like universally loved from everyone has kind of been like a weird feeling. But so I'm hoping that, you know, that's that's the right formula here. But certainly before these the guys, PFF the guys field, on our side now, Daniel. Yeah. Like what, what is <laughs> happening here? We are in bizarre land. But, uh, you know, I, I, it's in, almost impossible to come away from this draft and be upset. You know, it's like every single I, I think my only minor concern with this draft is still there's little like you know edge three depth or you know inside linebacker depth behind those main guys but uh you know we'll let camp play out and see if there's any more veteran free agent moves and you know know what could happen yeah. after waivers you know the roster cut down but just on paper this draft it's hard to be upset by the address you know they got a left tackle for kenny pickett potentially they got joey porter jr they got their corner um darnell washington uh keanu benton like these are four guys who could be high upside contributors in the long run and in the short run, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I think they all have a shot to play like over 50% of the snaps of next season. Like, even though I mentioned about Broderick not playing week one, potentially, I do th think we see him at some point in year one. Um, I just, I, I know that Tomlin potentially will operate differently, but all these teams he mentioned, like you go back to Andrew Thomas, you look at all these guys that have even struggled out the gate, like teams have letting that, let them take their lumps. Because you know they kind of have to go through those growing pains. So I hope at some point, regardless, we do see Broderick in year one. But go ahead, Tyler. I didn't mean to. Well, I was just going to reiterate something that I said last week, and just because Daniel kind of mentioned it, and it is in a way like on paper, I, I look back at like previous drafts, especially in like my lifetime for the Steelers, and I felt like this one compared to other ones on paper, it just seemed like they got not only a position of need, but the best player available at each selection that they had. I mean, you can make an argument for at least, I think, honestly, all, all the first six six of their picks. Spencer Anderson, I'm sorry. I just don't know who you are. But <laughs> I, I, for Broderick Jones, um, Joey Porter Jr., Keanu Benton, uh, Darnell Washington, Nick Herbig, and Corey Trice, I think there's an argument there that could be made that each of those guys was the best player available on the board when they were selected, which if you look at past Steelers drafts, like you were mentioning before, there's like picks that you question, like why were they drafting this? I mean, Kevin Colbert was the problem apparently. Um, but I, I, I just feel like there hasn't been a draft in like our lifetimes, and that that I 
would come away and thought they had just so much value, but also addressed the positions of need as well, so, so well out of a draft. Now, granted, they could all suck. That, that, that would be terrible. It's the best but... immediate reaction that we've had <laughs> yeah. to a draft. We have no clue how yeah. it's going to age, though. Yeah. Right. Yeah. On paper, it's the best one that I've seen. Yeah. I never remember uh, the Steelers ever winning, like, draft Twitter, winning draft Twitter over. So we'll yeah. have to see how. Well, we've said, we, we kind of said that. This strategy was... plays out, but, you know, I have high hopes. Yeah. This, we said that it felt like we were the Ravens this year because the past several years, I mean, yeah. typically they always yeah. have a great draft. And yeah, it's like, how do these guys fall to them and everything? And I feel like yeah. a lot of people felt that way about the Steelers. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, Daniel, I told you 45 minutes. We're now at 48. So, but we're, we're, <laughs> we've wrapped up here. All the Steelers talk that we could possibly get. Is there one, you know what, Ashley, I'm going to put you on the spot. I saw you tweet oh. something earlier, so you can even regurgitate that one. But is there a stat that stats guy Daniel can throw our way here to wrap up? Um, what was it? You tweeted something earlier that oh, about Pickett. My Kenny Pickett uh, stat of the day. So here yeah. I have it here. From week 10 to the end of the regular season, so when the Steelers came off their bye week, Kenny Pickett had a higher pass rating on third down than Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Tom Brady, and Geno Smith. What heard of that? All guy. those guys. Yeah. 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 Those pretty guys are company. pretty good, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But I think uh, it was basically go. just going along the theme of just how good this team looked after the bye week. And it's just, I think 2023 is just going to be like finding a way mm-hmm. to build on that. You know, it was like uh, the first, uh, what was it, ten, nine weeks of the season, they almost made the easy look difficult. And then the last half of the season, they made the difficult look easy. You know, like crunch time, fourth quarter, third downs, you know, they were getting those done. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, Kenny Pickett's, year two is going to be very important and we saw that he can get it done in the clutch. And I think year two is just going to be about extending that for a full 60 minutes now. Right. So, you know, I, I was impressed with what I saw down the stretch and, you know, hopefully we can keep that moving in year two. And that's not another prediction that we look at that I'm wrong on in two years. Yeah. Let's not, let's not wait another two years to get you. Back <laughs> we'll have to make it happen sooner than that, but yeah, for sure. All right, uh, Daniel, you tell the people where they can, can find you, follow your work, all that good stuff. Uh, yeah, so you just follow me on Twitter at StatsGuyDaniel. And uh, if you're looking for any of my work, you can download the Score app. Um, and all, all my stuff is on there. But Shout I out really my boy, appreciate Jordan guys. Schultz, too. Yeah, Jordan Schultz with us, too. But I appreciate you guys having me on again. We definitely have to do this sooner than you know, two years. Yeah, we're not waiting two years. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> we're not doing it. All right, Daniel. All right, man. Take care. We appreciate you, and uh, we'll be talking soon. Take it easy, guys. All right. Thanks, Later. man. There Less we go. hesitation that time. There we go. That was uh, <laughs> Daniel Valente at Stats Guy Daniel of the store joining us. Uh, big fan of his, big fan of his work going all the way back to we started following each other when he was still with uh Steelers Depot uh but he's now with the score doing big things which is great if you ever if you have the score app and you ever get those alerts where they throw in like the random emojis that's Daniel sending you an alert so uh but shout out to him some good football talk there that's enough football talk for the week let's dive into some other stuff although I'm not too excited to talk about the pirates as of late but we got to do it no, dude, um, I'm about excited as I am about my eye right now <laughs> uh, if you're watching on YouTube you've yeah, seen like only I've been if itching you're on my I'm, I've been itching my eye the entire time I don't know what it is I don't know if I have an eyelash stuck or what but this is this content anywhere else. this is basically how annoying it is to watch the pirates the past like week and a half 
yeah, May. Like in May, like April was great for the Pirates. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but since May, it's been a month from hell. Um, they lost well, that last game. Brings May losing streaks. Everybody knows that. <laughs> they lost that last game of the series. Um, who was that too? Dang it. Right before the Rays series, they lost that Sunday game where Oviedo just got lit up. And then the Rays series happened and things really fell off the rails there. And then they come home and they just went one and five on the Nationals. Nationals. Yeah. So they have one win in their last, what, eight or nine? Um, It's been a struggle for this team. The only win that they have was a Mitch Keller complete game where you know, shout out to Mitch. He's really one of the few bright spots overall when you look at the season's entirety. And even like in this rough stretch that they've had, he's still been very good. Um, I think he's the next guy that you talk about and you look at and say, this is a guy that you would like to get an extension done with. And he even said that there's been some conversations there. So hopefully they can get that done. Um, but yeah, this has just been so fr- like, it's just, it's crazy. I, we shouldn't be surprised as Pirates fans that this would happen. But to go from the April they had, and it's like there's no middle ground. Like we didn't Polar see like a gradual. We didn't even see like a decline at all. It just immediately went to we saw looking the like cliff. the worst team. Yeah, looking like the worst team in baseball. And I don't have like, I don't have just like a quick answer as to what's happening. It's like literally everything going wrong, other than like when when Mitch Keller started. Like pitching hasn't been very good. The bats aren't supporting it. Um, I will say like Key Bryan had a nice little streak of going up, getting on base two plus times or something like that. But like Jack's Jack Sawinski, who had a really hot bat, he's been terrible as of late. Um, Bay's been offering really nothing, even when he has been playing. I know that he's been dealing with a little bit of an injury, but he hasn't been good. Um, I think I feel like Connor Joe hasn't been as productive as late. Uh, a lot of talk about like from a defensive perspective, too. I, it's just like if you're not going to hit you got to at least play defense and they haven't been able to do that. Like team wide, you got rich Hill making errors off the mound. Rodolfo Castro. It just seems like he's kind of positionless. Like I like the bat. I feel like he needs to be in the lineup. I just don't know where you play him because he's not been good defensively to compete. Marcano. You don't have to worry about like fielding errors, but his arm is so weak. He can't play short. There's just so many things wrong with this team right now. It's like, I could just sit here all day and list off things. But really, it's I could just say it's everything that's going wrong with this team right now. Yeah, that would be an easy way to put it. Um, <laughs> I, 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 it is really everything. Um, things that really stick out. The defense really has has taken a steep decline, um, which which I think doesn't help when the offense is slumping as well. And as long as as well as the starting pitching, it hasn't been good. And I'm looking at some of these like stats over the past. I, I can only set it to 15 days. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess set it to seven or 15 days. So I set it to 15 on, on MLB.com. And I mean, just looking at it offensively, it's been really, really, really bad. I mean, most of these guys are, are sub two or like sub, all of them are sub 300 except for Drew Maggie, coincidentally enough, um, <laughs> in, in batting average, but even on base percentage, the only ones that really have a respectable on base percentage over the last 15 days are Rodolfo Castro, who has a 357, um, and Kutch, 356 over the last 15 days. But everyone else, it, it's, it's been really, really bad um, overall. I mean, yeah. Brian Reynolds, 367 as well. Um, but it, it just seemed like not one thing went bad. 
everything went bad all at once, and they're one and nine over their last ten games. And it just seems like, like I said, there was no de- decline. There, there, there was nothing. They weren't going down the mountain. They fell off a cliff. And I, I, I thought that that race series was going to be like a one-off An anomaly. Like, yeah, just like- yeah. I, I thought it was like, and in and, and a couple of those games, at least like the first one and the third one, I think it was more competitive. The scores were like three to one, four to one. Not that those are necessarily competitive, but like they weren't getting blown out. They lost the one like eight to one, I think the se- the middle game. But they were facing the best team in the AL. It was like the clash of what it looked like of the Titans at the top of the uh, Major League Baseball at the time. But then they have their series against the Blue Jays and what they've done against the Rockies so far outside of that Mitch Keller complete game. It's been awful, and I I don't think that the Pirates are as bad as they're showing. And the reason being is because they they showed how good they can be if everything's clicking. And we kind of they're somewhere about this. in the middle. They're yeah. somewhere in the middle where their true talent lies. Mm-hmm. They peaked, and now I think we're seeing their floor. <laughs> they just need to find somewhere in the middle so they don't blow just... this absolutely like dominant lead that they had. In I'm not even talking about just just the division, but like a winning season or like being competitive. Mm-hmm. You you gain so much ground early on and now you're just kind of blowing it out the window losing one or losing nine in 10 games. It's, it's been awful and really unbearable to watch. And at times laughable, like how, how many mistakes the team can make whenever you're watching. And it's just, you just kind of chuckle because it's like, this wasn't happening two weeks ago. This wasn't happening a month ago. They were making these plays. They were making them routinely. They were getting the bats going and now it's just like this team is kind of a joke right now. Yeah, I it's it's to your point I agree. There's somewhere in the middle of what we've seen from April to May. But it's just crazy to see like that height and that low within like this portion of a season already. Like we're not even midway through May and we've already seen probably yeah. the best this team can be and the worst this team can be, which is crazy. So, I mean, I hope it's the worst. Which is why I'm not worried. Team if I'm being completely honest, like obviously they they could, they could end up being like this the rest of the season and that would suck. And I would go to my normal ways of stop watching baseball in around August. Um, But but I, I think that there's probably somewhere in the middle, like I said, and, and I I think that they could get back to that, which will still be fun baseball to watch. They're probably not going to win as many games as they did in the month of April, but I, I think it's a long season and Baseball seasons are going to have their ups and downs throughout 162 games. So this 10-game stretch has really sucked. But the reality is that's like 1-16th of the season. So I, I'm not too worried about the the overall look of how this is going to make the season look. Now, if they miss the playoffs by, by like one game, that would absolutely oh. blow. But, <laughs> I mean, just, just the overall look, I don't think – I'm not like saying that the Pirates are – are burned now and they, they have no hope for the rest of the season. I just think that's, that's kind of a, a ignorant take to, to have at this point, because I mean, we've seen how, how long baseball season is and how many ups and downs there can be. I, I look at that 2018 season, the pirates looked like all doom and gloom before the all-star break. And then they won 11 games in a row and made that Chris Archer trade ended up having a winning season that year, by the way. Um, Obviously, that Chris Archer trade, a lot of us want to forget, but yep. you, you see my point. It, there's a there's a lot that could change rather quickly. We've seen it change from 
from good yeah. to bad right now. Mm-hmm. Maybe it could change to good. I mean, they are playing the Orioles, which where are the Orioles? Aren't they where? playing better than they expected? Yes. They're in yep. second. They're in second mm-hmm. um, in, in the AL East. So that that might not be fun. And then they play the Tigers, <laughs> who are also in second in the AL Central. Um, and then we play the Rangers, who are first. first in the AL West. So we are just going to continue to play a daunting schedule. It looks, but like. it's funny because, like, like you, you know, it, it's crazy to say those teams are in that position. Like, yeah, the Orioles, Tigers, and I mean that's what that's Rangers, probably what people we'll were continue. saying about the Pirates. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, right? Weird baseball season so far. But um, you mentioned change. How quickly things can change. Talk about some potential change that well, we know there's going to be change within the Penguins organization. It's just a matter of when. Um, some reports were put out, like we now know at least it sounds like they're going to hire a GM and a president of hockey ops, which is there was some conversation about that because we thought it might be all in one role. They wouldn't have to have that president of hockey ops. That was potentially, depending on how you know who you're asking, the allure of Kyle Dubas coming to Pittsburgh was to have like a blank check and be able to oversee everything and be that guy. So if they're going to be two separate roles, maybe that rolls Kyle Dubas out of Pittsburgh. Um, But he also might be one of where we've heard 10 to 12 names that are going to be part of this first round of interviews. Um, I have no clue, you know, who we're talking about here. I don't, I can't even begin to speculate. I think sooner rather than later, like we're getting to that point where we are going to start to see some action here. Um, I don't think they want to wait too long. I don't think they want to get too close to the draft before making this decision. Um, and speaking of the draft, Penguins 14th overall pick, they didn't move up at all. We were all waiting. Like, are we going to see some movement here? It being the Penguins, especially, I think a lot of people were like, watch the Penguins somehow end up with a fourth pick or something like that, something stupid, despite the very low odds. Um, but let's take a step back. I don't know where you're at with this. Like, we've kind of thrown some potential names out there when we had Jesse and Danny on and stuff like that. I like the idea of there being both roles. I don't know where you stand on that, but I like the idea of a GM as well as a president of hockey ops to kind of build out a staff there. Um, but as far as like names go, man, like Eric Tolsky, the assistant GM of Carolina is like number one on my list. And then after that, I don't even know, like then the list begins for me, but he's the clear number one. He's one that I've seen brought up a lot. And I think he makes a lot of sense because you you've had the success that Carolina has had. And clearly he's had to have had a hand in on that, but then you, you get the analytical side of it too. And I, I know that a lot of people are hesitant that t- towards hiring someone that's super analytical just because they're they just don't like that it's, word. it's like it's, it's like foreign to them they don't like it but i promise you like just go stare at some j fresh hockey pages right now and it in hockey suddenly makes more sense to you uh once you understand the analytical side of the game not that everything has to gear toward that but i, I do think it is smarter to build your team around stuff like that um one guy that's not going to be is Keith Jones because he was hired as the flyer. Oh, did he get hired? Yeah, he got he got sure, hired. Okay. He I got, saw it was between him and Eddie O. Yeah, it, it, Keith Jones and and I saw who who did I see say this? I don't know if it was Hunter or Jesse. Someone said that would basically be like the Penguins equivalent of hiring Bob Airy <laughs> to, to be the president of hockey ops, which I thought was hilarious, but. Uh, you know, the one thing I would do want from the for the Penguins, um, I, I I want the new president of hockey ops to explain to me what his job is. 
whenever he does get hired <laughs> because I'm still not sure what Brian Burke did. Yeah, in who knows? Um, yeah. But and then mentioning the 14th pick, this is the the Penguins' highest draft pick that they've had since 2012 when they got that first rounder for Jordan Stahl, which they picked eight overall. Um, and, and with their own pick, it is their highest pick since 2006, where they took Jordan Stahl at number two overall. So it, it's a good opportunity a good for class. the Penguins. Yeah. I, I Obviously, the, the hockey is the way, like, unless you're picking in, like, the top three or four, you're probably not going to get a guy that plays right away. But mm-hmm. I, I think there's a good chance that they're going to get a, a prospect that the Penguins haven't had in a long time. So a good one. Um, I, I think that you're going to get a guy that could potentially make the NHL in a, like a year or two, which is something that is kind of unheard of if in Penguins territory. What did that's you say? What I if they what keep did you the pick. You think they're going to trade it? I, well, that's why I wanted to ask you is would would you be, Probably, what would you, was, okay. I'll tell you who I traded for. I traded for UC Soros. Yeah, and that's it. That that's not, all. That, not Connor Hellebuck, because there's been some talk about him too. Connor Hellebuck. Uh, no, um, no, I wouldn't do it. I like mm. I like UC Soros better. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're giving me either or, but I would probably be willing to part with that pick for Hellebuck as well. Yeah. Okay. I guess that makes sense. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, it like top option. And I, actually, it, I I consider it for the rights for Jeremy Swayman. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's it, because it's it's interesting because it is such a good class, and you are probably going to get a guy that immediately is like that top prospect in the system once he's drafted. Oh, that, that's no uh, question. That is no yeah. question. The Penguins prospect pool. It's Joel Blomquist, and then a bunch of dirt. And Pickering. then there's Sam Pullen under that. Who? You know, oh, 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 and Pickering. Pickering. Yeah, yeah. I, for, I completely forgot about that. I, I forgot yeah. I forgot he existed, to be completely honest. <laughs> um, okay, so there's Jewel Blomquist, there's Owen Pickering, and then there's a bunch of dirt, and then everybody yeah. else is underneath that. Yeah. Um, but so I, I I can understand. I won't be upset if they keep that 14th pick. But it just goes back to, okay, we have no clue how long we're going to have Sid, Gino, Chris, especially playing at the level that they just did last season even. If you can move that 14th pick for a guy that immediately helps this team, you know, I, I wouldn't rule that out number one. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> also, since we're talking about the picks, I, don't I mean, even, I, it, it was fixed, right? Like, we all well, know it was fixed, right? But why? Why would it be for Chicago? Like, because they just lost their their generational talent for a yeah, year. Yeah, but and they a half. also have. I, I don't know how deep we want to get into it on the show, but like with the sexual assault stuff, like you would think the NHL has a bad look of them right now and wouldn't be wanting to help them. It's a big market. That, yeah, that, I know, but a, that's a, just such a black market. Where do you want Connor Bedard to go? Do you want him to go to Anaheim or Chicago if you're the NHL? Yeah, neither. It would have been like a long shot jumping up somehow. Anaheim, uh, Chicago, or Columbus? Yeah. Wait, wait, like, like, which one are you picking? Nah. If you're the, NHL I, I, I hope that he like pulls an Eric Lindros and doesn't play there. I mean, here's and and this is coming from someone that. So while I don't think that tampering exists in like actual gameplay of sports, 
I do think it exists in stuff like this. And the reason I, I am so valiant in saying that is because I'm one of the people that is fully in the camp that the NHL rigged the draft to get Crosby to Pittsburgh. So since I, I, I can openly believe that, I believe that, that that stuff like that could happen. Like like Lafreniere to New York, like obviously they showed the balls dropping, but I if you told me that was fixed, I'd believe it too. Obviously it hasn't worked out for New York, and maybe the, the Penguins could sign Lafreniere, who knows? Um, <laughs> might, might, might be a cap casualty, but I, I, I'm just saying like, I, I think that there's a good chance that it could have been, it could have been that way just because you want them in the it's larger just, market. They shouldn't even have that pick. Like you look at what other teams have been punished with. We've seen teams stripped of first round picks before Chicago shouldn't even have that first round pick. They were fined less than the amount they sold in season tickets. Once they locked up that number one pick, which is ridiculous. As an organization, they were fined $2 million. Immediately upon winning the draft lottery, they sold $2.5 million worth of season ticket packages. It's a joke. And that's why Chicago got the number one overall pick. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I 100% I don't dis- saying. I don't disagree it, with you. The backlash it's, it's that it's joke. getting might be even greater. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with you that it's a joke. I think it is a joke how they handled the NHL handled that whole situation. But I, I think there's a lot of smoke into like why the NHL would want Chicago to have that pick because the NHL does not care about any situations that, like what occurred. Because I, I do not want to see Connor Bedard playing in Chicago, but there's no – I mean, obviously they're taking him. Like there's no question what's So what a shame. Hopefully it's like he plays – hopefully his second contract doesn't come in Chicago. That's all I can say. Speaking of second contracts, what does the Oilers series look like? Who'd won Vegas? They played a night. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Wednesday at 9 p.m. Yeah. Just to close out the show, throwing out more hypotheticals just for fun. How long does it take for Connor McDavid to eventually request a trade if they continue to lose? I don't know. It has that hasn't even like entered my mind. Like I I don't know. I don't even know how to begin to like evaluate that because that's totally like his mindset. Like who knows if he's even I'm not saying he doesn't want to win, but like maybe he loves it in Edmonton, playing with what's become like a, obviously like almost like a brother in Leon. What and, a like, soft I, mentality. I, but I don't know. I, don't, I mean, I'm not even saying that's how he feels. I'm just no. I know. It's I, I it's know. just like it's so it would be so frustrating. I feel like to have those two players, the like arguably the best two players in the world, and your team is just shite around. I mean, you. it's the it's the Angels of yeah. the NHL. Yeah, that's that's and true. The only, and the only reason that I like I know that the Angels don't haven't really like even made the postseason, but the difference there to me is it's so much easier to make the postseason in the NHL than in the MLB. Yeah. Yeah, and and like despite it being a team sport and it's still really hard for individuals to carry you, I think individuals can carry you a little bit more in hockey than they can in baseball. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the best no, players I, play about a third of the game and they're on the ice, one of five guys besides the goaltender skating around. They can, you know, put the team on their back for periods of time enough to win games and to win series. Yeah. I mean, I'll just... 
I'll just go back to what Scottie Pippen said about the Warriors. Connor McDavid can rack up as many as much hardware as he wants for individual stuff, but there'll be pretty much everybody in the hockey world. It don't mean a thing without the ring. Yeah. Which sucks for him because it, it is such a like out of his control sort of thing. I know. Yeah, I agree. I mean, him and Leon are just so dry. Seidel might even be a better playoff performer than McDavid, though. I mean, dry yeah. seems to score every it single night. Yeah. But McDavid, and, and I only say this because I thought about it because I was talking about it with my buddy um, before and the playoffs are going on and Edmonton's losing the series. But if he continues on the trajectory of like point totals and hardware that he's going to rack up in his career, but he never wins a Stanley Cup, I have a hard time putting him higher than... Well, then he's Dan Marino. Yeah. Like, I can't put him above anybody in my top five. I mean, yeah, you you have to say, like, arguably he's the most skilled player we've ever seen. Yeah. But, you know, anybody that's that's played the sport that we're talking about has competed against him or played the exact same game just in a different era will tell you that that is the ultimate goal. If you don't win the ultimate goal even once, how can you be listed amongst yeah, the top five to ever do it? Yeah. He could well, be the know, top, top five most talented. Maybe he'll but... win a gold medal one day, but that's not hard to do. He's Canadian. By the way, if we're predicting, I do think at some point he's going to win a Stanley Cup. Like, I'll just say that. In Edmonton? Yeah. That, that's a question. They yeah, should have I mean, never have given Darnell Nurse that contract, and they'd be in a better spot. He sucks. Imagine what they could have done with that money. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's just it's just interesting to me. Like, how long would you want to wait as a player? to get out of a situation like that if you continue to lose. Yeah. But who knows? They could they could come back and they could win the cup this year. I, I predicted them to make <laughs> it to the cup final and lose to Tampa Bay. Mm. That was in our uh that was in our first episode of the NHL season. I don't remember what I said, so I think you I no, I know I predicted the Avs to repeat because I said yeah. we've seen the repeats kind of come back as of late a little bit with the Penguins then the Lightning. And I said mm-hmm. I think the Avalanche are gonna do it too. So that didn't happen, obviously. Nope. Um, go Kraken. <laughs> yes, go Kraken. <laughs> uh, anyways, um, this is kind of the last chance because on Saturday will be the Dalton Keene Memorial Golf Outing, Blackhawk Golf Course, 2 p.m. Come check us out. Man, that really uh, snuck we'll up on there. us. Yeah. And then uh, kind of along with that, the GoFundMe for Isla Keen, as well as the LaMasters family. Those will be in the description of the show, as well as everything custom designs, shirt company, small business. Uh, our friend Haley Wagner started. She actually made this shirt, the that shirt? I'm rocking yeah. right now yep. around the 412. Uh, Go on YouTube, she made check this out the in... shirt. It's a hundred and one hour and 15 minute mark. There you go. <laughs> Black and gray. She made these in. Uh, if you want one, I'm sure that she would make one for you as well. Uh, you can wear this exact same shirt as me. We're also... You know, I threw out the idea that we were going to bring back the Trust the Buck and Process shirts, and then they've lost 9 out of 10, so I'm not going to say it again. Um, we'll see how this next stretch goes. Should be F the Anyways, Buck and Process. Yeah. <laughs> right now. Uh, like us on everything. Um, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, 
Um, subscribe right here on YouTube if you are here right now. Leave us a like, hit that notification bell. Leave us a five-star review if you're listening somewhere else. All that good stuff. You guys know what to do. You can follow our link tree in general and know when we're just posting something new. Uh, we have all new channels. Well, I say all new, but like it's as of September, so it's been a while. But you know, maybe everybody hasn't come over yet to those channels. So if you haven't yet, do that. Check out all the stuff that I mentioned in the description. And uh, I think that's it. Right? Mm-hmm. That should yeah. be it. All yeah. right. So thanks again to Daniel Valente for joining us this week. We will be back next week. Who knows what we're going to be doing? Who knows what we're going to be talking about? But we'll be here to talk about Pittsburgh sports-related stuff in a week. And until then, we'll see you. Bye-bye.